scripture this morning is taken from Luke 3, 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to take these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit was cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word remains eternally. May it take deep root in our hearts, in our church, in our world. Help us to hear what you have to say today with joy. Amen. A church board member, who not a member here, uh, was driving home and he got stuck in gridlock traffic. Everything came to a screeching halt in a large city in a traffic jam. And even though traffic was at a standstill, the driver behind him kept honking and honking and honking. In the tension of the moment, he lost it. He opened the door, got out, asked the fella to roll the window down, and he rolled out a Uh, a long sentence, a set of expletives that almost melted the paint off that guy's car. He gave him a piece of his mind. He walked back to his car and he looked at his back bumper. On one side of the bumper was a bumper sticker that said, come follow me to Anderson United Methodist Church. The other bumper sticker said, honk if you love Jesus. Well, (laughs) um, That guy needed to get his life kind of straightened, didn't he? Um, Our actions matter. And 
John the Baptist comes out of the blue. And John the Baptist, his dad was a big temple priest in the temple, but he, uh, he would go out to the river and he would preach repentance and change. And he talked about maybe your life matching your bumper sticker, if that makes any sense. And uh, a lot of people loved to hear what John the Baptist had to say. They, they would hop on their camels with their bumper stickers, you know, honk if you're a child of Abraham, I guess, if you're a chosen one. And they would go out to hear this guy preach. Now, David read to you Luke's version of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. And Luke is, is different in special, uh, different in, in some ways than Matthew, Mark, and, and John. They all have the same story. But Luke, Luke has the response of the people. What must we do, John, is what they asked him. Now, John the Baptist was kind of a curmudgeon. He's probably not the guy you would invite to your Christmas parties because he called them, you brood of vipers, you snakes. And that's not a real good first illustration for congregations. Um, but there's a little deeper meaning here um, because what the hearers probably heard was out of Genesis, what you learned in vacation Bible school about that snake, that deceiver, that attacks the character of God and Adam and Eve in their sense of identity, the one who, who fooled them into not listening to God. The snake appealed to their ego, right, and pride and leads them down a path away from their creator. They might have heard that. And then he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And that's a little kind of strong as battery acid as well, except for this. Sounds a lot like God's question to Adam and Eve after they were deceived by the snake. You remember when God asked, walked in the cool of the morning and said, Who told you you were naked? John's question to these throngs of people, tax collectors and soldiers and other people who packed the house by the Jordan River to listen to him, his question is rhetorical. He's trying to um, emphasize both Perhaps their condition, and maybe they knew about their condition. Maybe that's why they walked so far to, out of the way to hear him. And their challenge, bear fruits worthy of your repentance. And John presses the case, telling them, I don't care if you say you're children of Abraham. Maybe to us today it might say, I don't care if you're Methodist or Episcopalian, or Baptist, or other, or non-denominational. No, bear fruits worthy of your repentance. What then shall we do, they asked John. And his message, uh, is, his response to them is not just simply a call to belief or trust, yet that's there. John challenges his hearers to right relationships, not just with God, but with their neighbors as well. Remember, John is prepare the way, the way for the, the Son of God, that is Jesus, who will be coming up. So in preparation, the least you can do is to begin to set right your relationship with friend, with stranger, with even enemy. You know that when we lose human connection, we have other, we, uh, that we forget that other people are are God's children, even those who don't know it yet, that's when individuals become capable of doing 
horrendous things. Jesus will begin to challenge us and lead us into ways that go beyond what John the Baptist says, like forgive one another, right? Return, don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil. Very challenging things. But the foundation of getting ready for Jesus is to be honest, is to be who your dog thinks you are, is to be what your bumper stickers say that you are, is to live into that and not to live a double life, and that's challenging. The things that John challenges us to do are things that it's almost like a Fulgham's book, Everything I, I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Just treat people with dignity. If you've got more than you need in life, if God has blessed you that way, give some away and share it. If you've got all this power and, uh, and power to take advantage of people, maybe to lie a little bit, to get a little bit more money out of them, don't do that. Treat them with honesty. If you have enough power and authority in this world to bully people and to get them to do what you want them to do, quit doing it, says John. Make room in your life if you have excess of power or possessions or things. Make room in your life because when you do it for other people, you're making room for Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who wants to lead us ever more deeply into being lights to the world. I counted in my closet 14 jackets, right? I don't just have two jackets. I got 14. And I'm not sure what that conversation with John the Baptist would be like. Bruce, give away some of your jackets. Well, John the Baptist, we get weird weather in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, right? And well, John the Baptist, I need at least two different kinds of coats. You see, I'm a preacher, right? I'm ordained and I've got to look nice every now and then. And I don't know what John the Baptist would tell me. Maybe it's like... Could you give a few of them away? Or are there other things in your life that you're hoarding for yourself that may not be tangible? Time, talents, and gifts that you are withholding from other people. You see, it's not necessarily about what's in your closet. It's what's in your heart and what's in your hands and feet that count. Repentance here is not some guilt-ridden thing where I have to believe that I'm a terrible person. Repentance is metanoia, Greek for changing my mind so that my heart and my actions follow and they're in line with one another. John is looking for action-oriented fruits for those who are getting ready for the Messiah. What should we do? What are the fruits of repentance? Which might we bear? This begins with us as individuals taking a good, hard look at our lives I know we're ready. We've got that beautiful story that's powerful of the angels and the stars. And thanks be to God, we got a beautiful, powerful story from our children. But John the Baptist says, before you get all comfortable around the tree, what are you doing with your life? How are you allowing God to change your life in ways that are more consistent with what you believe? Because there's, there's nothing worse than believing one thing. And doing another. John says, that's like just throw it in the fire. Let go. Let God burn away what doesn't count so that what really counts love, light, compassion, generosity those things might take front precedence. And in that way, you are preparing for the Lord.
Howard Thurman, a, um, a, an American author, a philosopher, theologian, educator, a brilliant guy. He was born in 1899, died in 1981. Wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited who insp- inspired a whole lot of people to take action, to let their actions match their words. This is what he said about Christmas. When the song of the angels is still, when the star of the night is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. Christmas is not the goal, but the next stage. It's a new beginning. During Thanksgiving, my family drove to Birmingham and my, uh, my deceased mother's brother, Tom Lawson, is, is an, uh, I, I, he's like my mentor. I adore him and I, and I love him and I so admire what he does. He's an Oklahoma Baptist and he was a, a civil engineer at Mississippi State. He grew up in Alabama. And after he retired, he was horrible at golf. He, he wasn't real good at a lot of things that, that maybe waste and fritter a lot of time. And he really didn't want to retire. And so, so um, Tom uh, looked at his life, took a long, hard look at his life and said, well, what is my legacy going to be? Is it going to be for, for uh, this gas company I worked for for 30 years? And and he started to think about some of the things he had that, uh, in his closet, so to speak, that were, that were good. He, he knows French. 25 years ago, he worked for Zebco. Believe it or not, he's the nicest guy in the world. I don't, but they asked him to go to Lyon, France for four years to be the axe man, to clean up the European division of Zebco. So he learned French very well. And he went to a French-speaking church and um, he was trying to impress the members of his church there in Lyon, France. And so speaking his kind of rusty French or, or new French, he thought he was asking people if they fished. Are you a fisherman? Now, some of you French majors and those uh, else of you who, who know French might know that like the name for fish is real similar to the word for sinner. And he wasn't saying it right. So Imagine coming to a church and somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, are you a sinner? And it's like, and he got these odd responses. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, I guess. You know, yeah, I make mistakes. I sin, you know. But he got better at it and learned French. And so coming back to just a few years ago when he retired, civil engineer speaking French and Congo came knocking Congo, and I'll show you in a little bit. And you, you'll see it here. I got to show this to you. It's the Congo Bridge Project, and you can see right there in this watercolor that it's made of stones, and it's a real rudimentary bridge that he builds in the Congos for three to four weeks at a time. Uh, you don't need any backhoes or any large equipment. They just hire eighty or eighty-five people to roll all this big stuff. Now scroll down just a little bit, if you would, Kenny. Thank you. Yeah, stop right there, You'll, please. You'll see the aerial picture is right there. That's, the, that is, uh, that's one of the bridges they fixed. You see the gaps in that bridge? It's a long way away, I know. 
Let's keep going. Uh, scroll, uh, scroll. Well, go to, go to the next slide, uh, Kenny, if you would. That'll help you get a perspective. So that, that's what most of the bridges look like in the Congo, right? Like, do you see, can you imagine at night if you were a mom and you were expecting having to get across that bridge? Imagine if you had 400 pounds of stuff you were trying to take to market, getting across that bridge on your bike. There's a truck that's stuck, and there is our new bridge. You see that right there? It's beautiful. Keep, going, keep scrolling up. There is the Ubangi region of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and you will see right there in the top corner, right there, all those river, rivers, Tom decided to get his French and to get his civil engineering degree to work, to get it out of his closet, because he never really retired. And he was there the last three weeks building a bridge for people knowing that that's going to help get, get stuff to market and it might save a life or two because people die on these bridges, especially at night. Here was the text from my Aunt Julia Ann just 10 days ago talking about his project. Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for praying for Tom, the people of Gemina uh, and Bogosi and the bridge project. Many of us will never see this part of the world, but God does and cares deeply for his people. Thankfully, he touched the hearts of you to pray and support his work. Friday, Tom was back in Gamana, which is his home base for him. They have cell service, and Tom texted yesterday. And then here's the next part. It's on the next slide right there, Kenny. Thank you. Thursday, Tom was in Bogosi, no cell service, where a string of 10 bridges have been built over wetlands and water. Tom will be bringing back pictures for us all to see. Anyway, the positive effects of this soon-to-be-finished project is visible. Tom said the people were so happy, and so was the church and the government. Tom has many stories to tell, but he will share those when he comes back. One story he did share was of Kate. This is the man who showed great interest in learning how to survey the area and build the bridges. Years ago, Tom left his survey equipment with Kate, and now he is, he is the one building the bridges. Isn't it beautiful how God put all the, this bridge project story to get, uh, project together using all of us, and he has been building bridges for 12 years and changing lives forever. Anyway, Kate wanted Tom to be the first white man to cross the bridges. So on Thursday, Tom crossed them all with Kate. It was a moving moment for Tom. News from the Bogosi Bridge Project has traveled far and wide. She continues, there was a celebration of singing and praying, thanking God for the renewal of these bridges, most of which were reduced to only foot traffic or motorcycles and still very dangerous at best to cross. Long sentence, star, sorry. I love this because my Uncle Tom got particular about his own repentance. It's, repentance is not some abstract thing, some cloud in the sky, right? Repentance is about getting specific with what God is calling you and me to do. And if you know French, then use it for God's glory to reach out to your neighbors, says John the Baptist. If you sing, then sing with all your heart to the glory of God. Sing joy into another person, your neighbor, says John the Baptist. If you're good at administration and organized, figure out a way to do that. You see, be specific in your metanoia. 
in your changing of the mind and heart for God, then you will be preparing and getting ready for Christ to come. There's this meme that I saw on Twitter, and it's, uh, it's, it's Opie and, uh, and Sheriff Taylor, right? And, uh, and they're talking, and, and Opie's quoted as saying, um, Paul, um, when do we know Christ is coming? Like, when do we know Christ is going to be here? And, and, uh, and Sheriff Taylor looks at his son and says, Opie, the way I see it, we're not on the planning committee. We are on the welcoming committee. And we welcome with our hearts and with our hands and with our, with our uh, gifts. And so John the Baptist says, be kind, give a coat away. Be honest, no extortion. And don't bully other people. Sounds like he got it straight from all I really need to know I learned from kindergarten. It is simple, but it is not easy. Because the world is calling us not to give stuff away, but to accumulate. You will be swimming against the stream. But God has bridges for you and for me and for us to build with our hands and with our hearts and our feet. Just as writer Etienne de Grelay once noted, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any fellow creature... Let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall, I shall not pass this way again. The invitation today as we prepare for Christ is to carry out the vision of John the Baptist, to love God with our heart, mind, and soul, with what we have in our closet and what we have in our heart. Amen. I invite us now uh, as we close our worship to stand and sing. I think it's 218. Let us stand.